I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but you know the, uh, our calendar and the Jewish calendar actually don't always hook up, right? Our calendar and the Jewish calendar don't, don't always hook up. So Friday was Passover, right? So today in the Jewish calendar is it's Resurrection Day. Today is Resurrection Day in, uh, in the Jewish calendar. So today would be the day probably, I don't know, I don't know like if Messianic Jewish people, that's what they call themselves, uh, if they actually celebrate today as like the Resurrection Easter Day rather than the calendar that we go by because it's usually like a, a 30 day separation a lot of times based upon uh, solar and lunar calendars. But uh, I thought, well, this is a great opportunity since uh, <clears throat> it's really Passover and God said, I want you to perpetually celebrate this, my people. And you know, the, the New Testament says something phenomenal. And uh, it says in the book of uh, Romans that we have actually, that, that Gentile people have actually been grafted into Israel. That we've actually been grafted into Israel. And so in many ways, all of the promises and the amazing truths in this book have all become ours in our connection to Jesus. I love it when Jesus was with that, the woman at the well, and she's like, well, you know, uh, the, the Jewish people say that you need to worship in, in uh, Jerusalem. You know, I don't really know if that's true or not. And then Jesus is just like, hey, look at salvation is from the Jews. And I mean, it's so incredible to think about that when he says that, because I think he understood at this time, having grown in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. In fact, I, I'm just, just the last couple weeks, just been astounded once again at, you know, the times when Jesus actually comes up to people and he's like, your sins are now forgiven, Ryan. And it's just so incredible. And he does it in this public way. And there's people are like, what in the world? No one can do that. And it's phenomenal to think about this, that even those that I think that died prior to his redemptive work of grace at Passover, when he died, all were forgiven by God, even David's murder of Uriah and his adultery with Bathsheba was forgiven on behalf. The reason why God didn't just kill him right there, because he was deserving of death for the sin that he, that he created, his corporal punishment, was because Jesus one day would be born and would suffer temptation and make it all the way through to the joy set before him. And he had the ability to actually forgive sins. Just incredible thinking. So our God is the God... Of the, of the beginning and the end. The Bible says that he is the Alpha and the Omega. That he is the first and the last. That he declares the end from the beginning. And in many, 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 many ways, in ways that I don't think, in the, in the great cosmic scheme of creation, all the way down to, I think, the cellular and, and molecular levels, I think God has put the gospel everywhere. I think he's put it everywhere. In, in, in its simplicity, and I love how Jesus can actually take enormous amounts of truths and put them into like a four-sentence story. But in, in its... I can't do that ever. But in its simplicity, in its simplicity, uh, he's put the gospel all over the place. So like when it says in Romans that all people know, I think part of it is like he's put the gospel into us, like the, the knowledge of right and wrong. But then he's also put the gospel like in creation. And it's in... The, the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth and in nature and in our bodies and the way that they work and sometimes the way that they don't work is also a lesson sometimes of our brokenness and how, uh, and how much we actually need him. And then he puts together in this book an amazing amount of revelation that 
uh, he is so not like me. I'm just telling you, he, I just, I'm just astounded at his incredible patience with humanity and then the unfolding of his love throughout history. It's so, I mean, I would just be like, I'm dealing with this right now. You guys have any family members like that? You know what I'm talking about? Like, uh, we have, uh, the, I call it the elephant in the room. So I'm, I'm an elephant in the room person. So, like, when conflict happens, I'm like, lock all the doors, people. We're not leaving this room until we deal with this right now. And uh, we, we have to do, like, not, it, it turns out that not everybody actually deals with conflict that way, right? I don't know. <laughs> I, I never understand that because we go out and like, well, what, how can you like walk out of the room? You need to process that. Like, this is terrible. We we got to deal with this. We got to we got to paint new walls. We got to put down new carpet. We got to build a new house. We got to do something about it. And uh, that's not always how things work. But God actually decides to unveil the gospel in so many different pictures. And Passover is actually one. There's so many others. And I hope, like, even as we talk about this today, think through the Old Testament, and think through all of the magnificent pictures. Now think about Jesus growing in the grace and in the knowledge of who he was as he got older, realizing that all of those pictures are about him and how he integrates then those pictures into his teaching as he's teaching about what he's doing there on the earth in his first coming, that he has come to serve and to give his life as a ransom, a ransom for many so that people might be saved. So God is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He declares it from the very beginning. And we stand in awe of him. And, and my hope is that, even in my own life, that that awe, the knowledge of coming to know how he's crafted all of these things, ends up turning into our joy. A joy that lasts forever and ever and ever. I don't see any cease or end to it. In this book, we have so many amazing pictures of this epic, epic story. In fact, I think all of, I've said this before, but all of the good stories that capture our imagination, that capture our heart, are there because they're shadows of the true epic of what God is doing right here. Hey, don't you appreciate signposts? Like signposts, you know what I'm talking about? Like sign- When I was a kid... Uh, we had gravel roads and stuff. It was really fun because when it would snow in the wintertime, I had one of those, uh, in fact, I, I, you probably have to go to a collector store to get them now, but I had metal lunch boxes. You know what I'm talking about, the metal ones? And the gravel roads would actually get frozen over. And, and I, used to, I had to walk, you know, like, I, I t- like all parents do. You have to walk like 20 feet to go to the bus. I had to walk like three miles in the rain and in the ice and in the snow. There were like... Five-foot drifts. I had to, like, I had to shovel my way through. Well, it was a long walk, but the whole road was all ice. And I just remember we used to, like, throw our metal lunch. I had a Star Wars lunchbox. The shame of it all. And uh, we used to, like, throw it and see how far it would, like, it was kind of our own form of curling. You know what I'm talking about? Chuck it down there. And our signposts, you could turn them. You know what I'm talking Like, they were loose. They weren't really well-built. So sometimes, just for fun, we'd be like, hey, we, don't have any, we didn't have a whole lot of video games at that point in time. I think, we had, I think my cousin had a Pong game, you know, that was like on a black and white TV, you know, bing, bing. So for fun, we'd run through the neighborhood and be like, all right, let's turn all the signs, you know, and be like, oh, turn all the signs. So none of the signs were actually where they would be. And uh, 
So signposts are appreciate are appreciated. And I was thinking about this yesterday when I was thinking about how much I actually rely upon them. And then there was a time when the internet came into existence, created by Al Gore, I think, right? And uh, so uh, when the internet came into existence, do you remember the day of MapQuest and stuff? You know what I'm talking about? Like I used to, I, I loved the internet. I was like, whoa, I'm, di- I'm using my, I'm dialing up into the internet with my dial up. In fact, I think we still have dial up here. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> the, uh, it is MCNet, though. That's where I had got my first dial-up, actually, Internet access. And there was bulletin boards. Do you remember dialing modems into bulletin boards and stuff like that and the beginnings of all this? And then when the Internet happened, I'd be like, this is awesome. I, don't, I used to keep an atlas in my car. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I tell Reg, like, hey, it's been five years. I need a new atlas for my car because... The roads have changed, and I'm going to be in trouble. Now, now, like, the GPSing is just like, dude, you've got to update, or you're going to have trouble. You're going to have problems, right? So I used to go onto the Internet and then print out MapQuest. It'd be like a four-page thing. I'm like, all right, look for the signposts. Look for the signpost. It'll tell you, all right, look for the signposts. All right, we're all right, working out. Now we just use GPS, right? I have a phone. tells me where I need to go. And God has actually put a lot of those directions about the way to him in fact, I'd even go so far as in its fullness of its illumination, which is in John 14, when Thomas was like, we don't know the way, Lord. What you talking about? And what does Jesus say? I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. And all of these other pictures, think about it. Everything that they grew up in the synagogue, everything that they learned as they unrolled the scrolls, every time they got together and they celebrated Passover, Every year that they went through the feast and everything that they were doing, and Jesus is like, hey, you remember that? You remember the, li- the water? I'm the living water. You remember the feast with the light? I'm the light. You remember the Passover that we're doing that in unleavened bread? That's all about me. I'm here. I'm going to fulfill it. In fact, in some ways, I'm going to, I am actually going to fulfill it. And not only that, I'm going to take it even further and help you to celebrate it, and we still do this, in communion. In communion. He actually transforms part of it in its fulfillment. Now we have GPS units, but we also have this book. And isn't it interesting that God chose to use a book and not a GPS device? I think that's pretty cool, too. Although there's a lot of really cool technologies, which I would say, engage them all. Use them all to further your knowledge of God. I always tell our kids, if you have a computer, get a piece of Bible program. Get something on it that, that you can use it for the glory of God. And uh, it's a great way of actually studying. So God's left us all kinds of signposts. Passover is a picture of Jesus. So think about it. So God comes to Abraham. By the way, did you know, biblically, like if you, if, you, if you just look at Genesis and you actually calculate it, did you know that Noah was still alive when Abraham was born? He actually did. He, like Abraham, I forget how old he was. He's like, he was like 70, between 70 and 100 years old before Noah was dead, before Noah died. He could have actually went and visited him. Be like, hey, no, what's up? What's going on? You know, I mean, I don't think he actually did because things, you know, I don't even know if they spoke the same language. And it turns out that Abraham was, uh, you know, like moon worshippers or whatever. Like, so they were like in a whole different connection. But what I am telling you, what I am saying is this: God didn't wait a whole long time to keep the redemptive plan going before He took that man out of the Ur of the Chaldees and said, "I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you." And the way I'm going to do it is, I'm going to bless all of the world. Through your seed. And he was talking about Jesus. And then you know the story about what ends up happening and Jacob and his four wives and all the kids and 
and ends up, Joseph ends up getting sold by his brothers. You ever think about that too? That always freaks me out a little bit. But not only that his brothers sold him into slavery out of jealousy, but do you remember the, do you remember who actually like gave him money? Like, yeah, we'll buy him. It was the Ishmaelites. We're talking about family. Cousins, you know what I'm talking about? My, my, my older sister just got married. It was a biker's wedding last week. It was awesome. There was like 120 motorcycles when they got married. They all started their motorcycles. They're like, Rah! I'm like, this is kind of like, it's kind of like their own little worship service, sort of, I guess, in some ways. Like, celebrate marriage. Rah! It was really kind of cool. It was pretty neat. I really enjoyed it. Uh, so, um, yeah, it, it's just so different than most of the weddings that we participate in, right? And, and I, I like marriages and baby births. Just amazing attributes or gifts that God has given into the world. So he's got all these kids, sells them to their, their cousins are like, yeah, we'll take them, we'll sell them for you, no problem. Take them over to Egypt, sell them into slavery. Saves all the people, like through the famine, right? Because he interprets the dreams after all of his hardships. And then the Bible says that there came a Pharaoh who didn't remember Joseph. And Joseph, at, his, at the end of his life, was like, look, yo, when, when God comes back and delivers us, because it's not going to be easy for our family, when God comes back, you've got to take my bones out of here. You've got to get me out of here, right? In fact, God said in Genesis chapter 15, God actually told Abraham, your descendants are going to go into a foreign land, and they're going to be slaves there for 400 years. But at the end of the 400 years, I'm going to show up and I'm going to deliver them. 400 years! Can you imagine that? Like your kids going into, like, what would you, like, you know what I'm talking about? 400 years of slavery, God. Like, let's do it now. Can we just, like, skip that part? I want that part on my TiVo. Like, you know, the commercial skip buttons or whatever it is. You just press the button, skip that part of life. Like, how about we skip the suffering part and get right to the redemption? Like, I don't want my family to go through that. But God says, no, this is what we're going to do. You're going to go into slavery for 400 years, and then I'm going to deliver you out of it, right? And so, man, in, in some ways, they were like in this slavery in Egypt, but God is like, I'm going to bless the wounds of those Israelite women like crazy. So there's like babies popping out all over the place. And not only that, then the, then the, uh, the, the Pharaoh's like, holy cow, look at all that stuff. Going. We got to do something. Let's oppress them even more, right? So they were, there was so, such a, a population explosion that he's like, they're all going to take over. We need to start oppressing them more, more, more. Slavery, more, 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 more. Almost to the point to where they get to the point where they're like, they really begin to cry out, right? Their taskmasters were hard. Maybe the slavery at first, in the first few hundred years, wasn't as bad. But eventually it gets to the point where it's really bad. And God calls out Moses. And, and he's like, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you as an instrument of mine. By the way, that's just like you and me. We're not, there's nothing special about you or me. Not necessarily. I mean, God loves us. Don't get me wrong. We're worth a lot that he sent his own son into the world. But it's not us that is doing the work for God. It's him doing it through us. This guitar doesn't do anything of it in and of its own. But a, a, a musician picks it up and plays it. And something amazing happens. And that's exactly what God was doing with Moses. And that's exactly what God does with you and me. And he calls him out, and he's like, I am going to deliver my people. And if you remember, Moses was like, dude, you gotta, God, you've got to tell me who you are. And God says, I am who I am. 
this is my memorial name. That was the name that God gave Abraham at the beginning when he said, I, the Lord, will deliver your family out of the oppression and slavery. I've come to fulfill my word. I've come to fulfill my promise to my people that I called out through Abraham. I'm going to deliver them out of slavery. So then comes the plagues, right? Do you guys remember the plagues? Ten of them, right? Let me just roll through them really quick. Moses turns water into blood. Then frogs come. Then gnats come. Then there's flies. Then all of the livestock get diseases. And they start dying off. And all of, remember every time, and Pharaoh's like, yeah, I'm going to let you go. Wait, I changed my mind. Oh, I'm going to let you go. Wait, I changed my mind. The livestock die. Then they start getting boils on their own bodies, right? So they're all heading over to the ER trying to find out what's going on. Uh, Then God actually sends hailstones that are so large The Bible actually says that Egypt have never seen hail that size before. And it turns out it looks like it says fire, but I'm thinking it was probably like a lightning storm, and the lightning was just striking all over the place, starting stuff on fire, hitting people, smashing stuff with the hailstones. I mean, it was was just terrible. Then God sends locusts. Then he sends a plague of darkness for three days. Now imagine this. The Bible says that the people didn't even get out of bed because they couldn't even see the people that were laying right next to them. Can you imagine laying there in your bed and your wife is next to you or you're in the house with your family and it's so dark for three days that you can't see a thing at all? For three days. And then the last play, which is the death of the firstborn, the Passover. The time when God says, all right, this is it. Get your stuff ready. I told Abraham hundreds of years ago that I was going to deliver his family out of the bondage of these people. And on top of that, we're going to loot them. We're going to loot them. I'm going to bless you so good. And what's going to end up happening is, I don't think they, like we were talking about this at youth group last week, and they're like, well, they were stealing stuff. I'm like, no, they weren't stealing anything. They were just like, hey, I was just wondering, you want to give me something so I can leave? And they're just like, yeah, whatever. Where's my wallet? Just go. Just go right now. No more. I don't want any more. Your God, your God, is, your God is crazy. I don't want it. I don't. Actually, some of the people, through the plagues, it turns out, actually converted. Like, it, like, like God's grace actually opened up their eyes to the point where they're like, hey, this might be the one true God. There's nothing going on over there by them. Like, there's no... None of the plagues are hitting on them. And isn't it interesting that sometimes people have the ability to see and sometimes they don't? It's a little bit of a mystery to me. I wish, I, wish, I wish that we had more of a way to actually make that sort of thing happen, you know, to illumine people's eyes. Because sometimes, even in the midst of amazing grace and demonstration of power, which many of you in this room have even experienced already, your family members have witnessed transforming, powerful grace miracles right in front of you where personalities are changed, where passions are changed. So when God connected with my heart, like I, I, went, off, I went off the hook. That's what I do. I'm just like 110% in every direction. Uh, and one of my family members came to me and they were like, look at Carrie. You need to sit down. You just need to cool it. All right, you gotta cool it off. You gotta cool it with this Jesus stuff. Now, what ended up happening was, uh, 
I'm one of those people that, like, I like hobbies. You know, like, I have to have something. i got to be doing something. I need something to engage myself with. And I, I'm never really connected with one thing. Like, I have, like, I don't know if it's annual or biannual. I just have this, like, i got to move on to something new. You know what I'm talking about? So I go from one thing to the next thing. It's a computer. It's, it's this thing. It's this athletic. It's this educational piece. It's this. And so my family members saw this, and they're like, look at man. It's just another one of your strange addictions for 12 to 18 months. It's going to move on. And uh, that was like 20 years ago now. And, <laughs> and the reality of it is, is that when you, when you see it, when you begin to realize all of those other things, what were they? A hungering and a thirsting after something greater. A hungering and a thirsting... And our family members see it. And some of them, their eyes are opened. Their eyes are opened and they believe. And other ones, they don't see it at all. They're like completely blind. And other ones actually get mad about it. They actually get mad. I get that from Corinthians where it says too that, uh, that believers are stinky. That, that we have an aroma. That we stink to people everywhere that we go. And I actually think that we stink in all directions. I don't think it's just because of one forward direction. I think, I think we just throw out a stink. And the Bible says, for some people, we smell really good. And for other people, do you know what we smell like? Dead people. For some, we smell like dead people. And they're like, get out of here! Like, you stink bad. They don't really say that, but that's what's going on. And they're just like, some of them are just... I'm just going to hold my spiritual nose while this guy is around me or whatever. And then other ones are just like, i got to get out of here. Have you ever seen physical movement? Like physical movement? from like, Have you ever seen the Spirit of God move in amazing ways where truth is actually pouring out? Maybe you prayed about it. Maybe it isn't even you that's sharing it, but you were praying for the people around you. And then the truth starts pouring out around you, right? Like it's on the radio or somewhere else. Like you didn't even make it happen. And you watch like the Holy Spirit move into that situation and you can almost see the response of the heart of the individual, the mind of the individual in doing it. And I don't know the answer why some are drawn and some aren't. You know, God, God elects to that and we have choices that we make when we do that. Every single human being has the opportunity to believe. <clears throat> so, God decides to pass through Egypt and strike down every first man, every firstborn, both men and animals. I will bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. That's his covenant name. I am the Lord. Jehovah. Yahweh. I am who I am. The one who is self-existent. And the blood will be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood of the Lamb on your houses, I'm going to pass over it. I'm going to pass over it. And, you know, we're still talking about this. We're still talking about the story uh, thousands of years later. We're still celebrating it. Even this weekend, people are celebrating the Passover. I always tell our kids, even Metallica wrote a song about it called Creeping Death. And it's judgment and it's reality. So, in some ways, sometimes that kind of music actually fits the story better than painting Noah on the walls of nurseries. I'm just saying, you know what I'm talking about? Not that I'm, just, not that I'm dissing Noah or anything like that, but when you really look at Noah's story, it's not just a children's story about animals coming to a boat, people. 
It's about people coming to Jesus and death happening everywhere. And massive graves happening. It seems like God created graves, right? Uh, with all of the bones and everything that he did. All of the death that he actually brought during that judgment. God brought judgment on people. Was he unjust in doing it? No. I deserve death. I deserve death for the sins that I've committed. The wages of sin is death. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Somehow God sets up in the Passover this idea that there needs to be blood, there needs to be a substitute. Something has to die for the sin that I have, that I have created. And he sets this up. He actually comes through with a death angel dealing out death and the only ones to escape it are the ones who actually take an animal, kill it, think of how gory it is, kill it and put its blood all over the place. Have you imagined doing that with your, uh, with, you know, like in your family, like if we were still doing that now? I mean, can you imagine getting your kid out like, all right, we got, I went to the, I went to the, uh, the farm and I got our, our animal. We're going to slaughter it now. We're going to put blood all over our house and uh, we're going to do this every... You know, we're going to celebrate this, this bloody... The Bible's pretty gory. You know what I'm talking about? We have a, there's a lot of blood going on. And all of that has to do to the pointing of the fact of Christ and His suffering. That it was through His suffering, that it was through His scourging, that our atonement happened. That He paid the price. That He became the Lamb that took on our punishment, our, our judgment. Our condemnation was all wrapped up in Him. Incredible. So in the New Testament, there is a picture, a lot of different Scripture verses that point to this, that Jesus actually is the Passover Lamb. Hopefully you've been thinking about it. Maybe the Holy Spirit's been reminding you of some of, the, some of these verses. Like right in the very beginning. I'm, I'm amazed at this. At the very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, His cousin, it does make me wonder like if they hung out. Do you guys hang out with your cousins at all? Or is it just like, a, is it a Facebook connect? Or you don't even know your cousins at all, I'm just saying. But uh, it makes you wonder, because they were related, right? I mean, Jesus and John the Baptist were related, you know. Did they hang out when they were kids? Like, when they went up to feast days and stuff? Or they're like, hey, Jesus, you know, let's go kick a ball around. Maybe play some hacky sack, then we'll head over to the synagogue, talk about God, read some stuff or whatever. When was it that they actually, that their, that their relationship, if it ever, it broke apart, and then eventually John ended up in the wilderness, called by God? And then when Jesus shows up, because John's been preaching, there's, there's one coming. There's one coming. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Did he know it was his cousin? I don't know. I know this. He found out the day that Jesus was baptized, for sure. Because he saw the Spirit of God descend on him. Like a dove, right? And, and when Jesus showed up on the scene, John looked at some of his disciples, and he looked at him, and he's like, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. How did he know that? How did he get that going on? That's just incredible that he actually had that much illumination. I mean, Jesus was telling his disciples over and over, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to wicked people. They're going to strip me. They're going to pull my beard out. They're going to beat me to the point where I will not even be recognizable. They're going to nail me to a tree and I'm going to die. And a couple minutes later, they're in a group talking about who's the greatest. And yet John 
even years before Jesus did any miracles, looked over and said, that's the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, the one who will be slaughtered to take away the sins of the world, the atoning sacrifice. Did John fully understand what he was saying? Was he just speaking in the Spirit? Possibly. Because later when he was arrested, remember, he began to question. He sent some of his disciples again, will you go and talk to him? Will you just go find out? Was my life worth something when I gave it all up for this? Is he the one? Go and ask him. And what did Jesus tell him? He didn't even say a word. He just performed a bunch of signs and wonders and said, you go tell John what you just saw. Tell him to be strong. Did Jesus know what was coming? I don't know. Ultimately, John gave the cost and Jesus said there wasn't a man that was greater than John. And he saw that he was the Lamb of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it says in verse 7, For Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. I, I, like, I can't encourage you guys enough to read the Bible. like Get connected with it. Listen to it. If you don't have time for reading, you probably have electronic devices or something. Get onto a podcast or something where you can connect with the Bible regularly. You know, um, I'm fascinated by the law. Like I tell people, like, well, uh, you get to Le- uh, Leviticus and it's really boring. I don't think it's boring at all. Because you can actually see, I mean, some parts, like some of the genealogies. Although some of that's even kind of cool, too. Like, I don't know if you know about the genealogy thing in, uh, in Genesis chapter 5. I don't know if you go over that, but this makes me wonder how God locks up some stuff. But uh, that's actually really true. But some of the genealogies and numbers and stuff can be kind of difficult. Get into the Word of God and ask Him to illumine your eyes. Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Peter actually wrote in in 1 Peter, For you know that it is not with perishable things, like with silver or gold, that we can have our sins forgiven. You can't go to your bank account and talk to the Bank of America or save up enough or get into the stock market and get rich enough to actually atone for your sins. You can't buy it. There's not, even though the church sometimes has taught that through the ages, the Bible's pretty clear that you can't have your sins removed through monetary uh, giving. You can't. Now, God wants us to give. He wants us to be joyful givers, but that's not how we have our sins forgiven. So Peter goes on and says, You know that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, and the way that you were redeemed was with what? The precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect. The writer of Hebrews actually says it this way when he says that um, Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are, yet he was without sin. And so people point back and say the unblemished lamb. Hey, you can't just, you can't just give away. You, can't use, you couldn't use the crippled lamb. Well, let's keep the 20 that are good. Let's just use the 21st one, the crippled one, because he's going to die anyway. So let's use that one as a sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice. And, and that wouldn't work out inside of God's economy because the son was perfect. You with me? So he puts it, he locks it up into the Passover. He locks it up into there. Um, in the book of Revelation, there's over 30 verses that reference Jesus as the Lamb of God. In the unveiling book, you, you with me? In the unveiling, in the Revelation, I was like, that's like a Wanaz. You know what I'm talking about? Awana? You ever hear people say Awana? I'm going to Awana's tonight. I'm always just like, oh, Awana's. And then, uh, and then there's the book of Revelations. Well, I read the book of Revelations 
I'm like, it's not a book of revelations. It's the revelation of Jesus. The revelation, the unveiling of Jesus. And, uh, and in there, there's 30 verses in Christ's glory that reference him as the Lamb of God. Some of them are so awesome. Uh, in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, John was like, remember there was a scroll with the, uh, with the seals on it? And they were like, who can open the scroll? I think some of us are going to hear this stuff, by the way. I don't know if you've read the book of Revelation. There's that one verse in there where the angel thunders something. And John was like about to write it down. And God was like, don't write that down. Don't write that down. I don't want you to write that one down. That one is a surprise. We're going to hear that. We're going to hear some of that stuff actually happen. Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And what happens to John? He's just like, man, there's no one. There's absolutely no one, right? And then what happens? One of the elders said to me, hey, don't weep. Don't cry. See that lion right there? The lion from the tribe of Judah? The root of David? He's triumphed. You watch this. You watch it happen. And, and, you, and, and I actually think it's not going to be like a fast thing. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes instant gratification is left. I mean, if you don't eat something for a while, even a nasty hamburger from McDonald's tastes amazing. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, wow, this is the best hamburger I've ever eaten in my life. And sometimes the crisis and even the, the waiting creates a, a beautiful tension and I think sometimes that Christ isn't going to be like, maybe he'll come through the crowds and we're just going to be like, yes! Look at him! Look at him right there. The one who's worthy. The lion of the tribe of Judah. This is a God that's worthy of worship. You with me? This isn't some impotent God that was made with human hands. This is a God, an almighty God that's worthy. All that other stuff that my heart was seeking was all just a bunch of like uh, weak broken, cracked idols. This is a true God that's worthy of worship, that we sing to, that we praise. Uh, he has triumphed, and He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So John turns to look to see the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the one who has triumphed. And what does he see? He sees a lamb. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And, in, and later in the, in the chapter, it says, and in a loud voice, all of the people that were there, present and gathered, as Jesus took that scroll, and who was worthy to break its seals, and its breaking of those seals are terrible. They are frightening and terrible for the earth to behold. And yet God will be glorified and He will be just. He is not quiet in this moment like He was when He came in His first coming when He was told not to open up His mouth. He begins to break the seals. And everyone sang in that congregation. What was the song? Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise forever and ever and ever. Daniel saw it in part and he wrote about it. And I believe you and I are going to see it. Now I say this to say, 
the Passover has a significant effect in our lives. The reality of what Christ has done should be transforming us in the decisions that we're making day to day. With our funds, with our money, with our time, with the way that we serve, with the way that we love, with the way that we speak, with the way that we pray, with the way that we save or we don't save. In the book of Revelation, a couple chapters later, speaking of the church, it says that they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Pure. Passed over. Hey, I don't know about you. I'm guilty. I've broken God's commands in so many ways, I don't even consciously know. One day when I was reading the law, and I'm like, you know, you get, you get through that, like, well, people know that, uh, you know, they have, like, a conscience, like C.S. Lewis writes about in Mere Christianity. Well, what about people who don't know? And then I came across a verse in, in uh, Deuteronomy that's like, God's like, even if you don't know, you're still guilty. And I was, I was like, crushed by that. I'm like, you're telling me that even the times when I offended you, every time that I drank orange juice and it wasn't for your glory, every time I took a breath for myself, every time I used your name in vain that I can't remember, every lie that I thought, every thought that I thought lustfully, every single one of those, I'm guilty. Even if I didn't recognize that I was. And yet, the scripture says, Behold, the Lamb of God for you, Carrie. Jesus, the incarnate, the one who came, the one who washes our feet, the one who didn't lord himself over us, but came to break our chains, even the chains that we didn't realize we were in. Sometimes, isn't it interesting how sin actually deceives us into believing that it's freedom when it's really not? And there is a matrix effect where we actually have to wake up to the reality of it. And we find that Christ is there helping us. So God told Abraham, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. The first Passover signified the covenant-keeping God, bringing to pass His promise to Abraham and to deliver his offspring from slavery and to judge the nation that actually brought them into slavery. And the death of Jesus, the true Lamb of God, marks the release of believers from the bondage of sin and of death and of judgment. Freedom. Freedom that should help us to celebrate in such incredible ways His grace each and every day. I heard a preacher one time who was just like, right now, and then again, don't worry about tomorrow, but then right now, and then again, right now. Are you treasuring him right now? Are you treasuring him right now? Is your heart singing his praise right now? In Romans chapter 8 it says, through Christ the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin. He condemned it. In fact, if you remember, He told His disciples tonight, on the night that He was tempted and then ultimately arrested, I'm going to cast the devil out tonight. I'm going to judge him. He's going to be judged. And isn't it interesting that 
in some ways, and I don't have time to go into this, but Satan actually entered into Judas Iscariot. I wasn't here when Paul preached on this. But, and, and I don't think we do that alone, but he knew the scriptures. He was actually helping, to, in some ways, like his anger and blindness and fierce desire to kill the Son of Man actually was just like taking a sword and piercing himself. He was literally judging himself and, and inspiring Judas to betray Christ. You see what I'm talking about? Because Christ was going to kill him, was going to defeat him on the cross, ultimately sealing his, uh, his ultimate demise. It's coming. God demonstrates his own love towards us. All we like sheep have gone away. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And I go back to that other picture, which was of Isaac prior to Abraham. Or when, when God told Abraham to offer Isaac on that mountain. And God gave him a stake and then provided a lamb for him to offer instead of his son. But he didn't do that for his own son. He went the full way. And his fierce wrath and judgment and our condemnation was poured out on Christ physically, emotionally, spiritually, I believe, in incredible ways until such a time as Jesus was able to say, it is finished. Truly in this city, in the book of Acts chapter 4, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. He put his son there. He was engaged with it. And it was the love of God that drove him to that, so that we can have our chains broken. There was no other way for it to happen. If, it, if Jesus didn't endure the temptations, if he didn't embrace the joy that was set before him, if he didn't take on that cross, if he didn't take on the beatings, if he didn't take on that crown, ultimately, if he did not lay down his life unto death, and I think at any moment he could have called upon a legion of angels and he could have smote the entire world in whatever way. All those judgments in Egypt could have, would have been just tiny things compared to what he could have done. Yet he did not open up his mouth and he went to the full length for you and for me. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement for our sin was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. In Romans, it says, God has demonstrated his own love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The scripture reading at the beginning was pretty uh, heavy duty. In the end, everyone dies. There wasn't a house in Egypt that didn't have something dead. Their dog if they had one, or whatever animals they kept, cats, I suppose. Uh, firstborn sons, their livestock, and yet in Israel, there was a covering that God provided, a way of escape to escape death. The invitation goes out. And I'm going to tell you that I never get sick and tired of actually singing the song or speaking about it, um, because it just seems like it's new all the time. And the reality of it is, is that I didn't need the gospel just 20 years ago. I need it today as much as I did 20 years ago. You have me. The grace of God, I need it. I need it. And you all know that you have friends and family that need it as well. Lord, we give you thanks. Come. You wounded your son. You crushed him for me and for us so that we might be healed. We thank you for the Passover 
not just that in the deliverance of the Israelites in Egypt, but for the true Passover land and ultimately the unveiling of what is to come. We ask for your will to be done here on earth, even as it is in heaven, in our hearts this morning, in the unveiling of your truth in McHenry, Crystal Lake, Wisconsin, Illinois, the United States, around the world. Draw all men to yourself as the Lamb of God is lifted up. Today is still called today, and people might be saved. Stay your wrath until its appointed time and bring people into the joy of salvation and the hope of the Lamb of God who is worthy to be praised. Amen.